Protectors of the Wood episode series. Episode number 36. The big change is coming. Abby couldn't sit still. There were too many things to think about. So she got out the hoe and started in on the weeds. It was a job she didn't like to do because she had a weak spot for the weeds. In her opinion, the weeds were perfectly good plants that nobody appreciates because they don't understand them. This actually was Wendy's firmly held view of the whole situation. The difference between Abby and her godmother was that Wendy actually knew the virtues of hundreds of wild plants, and Abby only knew the virtues of a few. But people in this town expect an orderly churchyard, and will take it out on Tuck and me if this place looks shabby to them. And I need something to do, or I'll worry myself into a panic. I wish I dared visit the mapstick. I feel like Mary Robinson. I'm missing something here. So she started in on the pigweed, the galanzoga, and the mugwort growing between rows of marigolds and snapdragons near the front fence. This was exactly the area that an alert pedestrian would notice. Wendy told me galanzoga is called quickweed because it'll seed five times between May and September. It's true, but I still like the plant. So vulnerable with those tiny white flowers, so easy to uproot. But you turn around, and there they are, back again. Everything dies and is reborn. Kayla isn't ready to think about that. I take it for granted. I assume it's obvious, but of course it isn't. So I put my foot in it. Put the weight of this strange universe on that poor girl's shoulders. She moved on to the vegetable garden and picked the last of the ripe vegetables. Abby knew perfectly well that she was starving. No breakfast, no lunch. She was losing weight in this stressful time. But she refused to go to Scudder's or up to Fred Peterson's roadside market or even to Sammy's coffee shop. I'm getting paranoid. I've got to get out of town. She simmered another vegetable stew, ate the last of the cheese left from more than two weeks ago, and swallowed a lemon cuke from the garden. Feeling better, she lay down. It's already 3.30. I meet Yuvia by 5. What am I going to bring? My money, a few extra clothes, a jacket, a hat. Hmm, that's all I can think of. Back here on Sunday. They'll probably break into this place again. Thank God my seeds are still with Jeremy and Reverend Tuck, and my papers and dreamstone charm with Phoebe. I'll carry my notebook of new songs with me, even though no one could possibly care. And of course, Yuvia's note will always be on me. Abby began to dream of the river. She could see it going by and felt the boat rocking on the waters and the excitement of being swept along. She just went with it and suddenly saw Yuvia's face. She sat bolt upright. Her timer read 4.15, just enough time to take a shower and pack a few things. By 4.25, she was ready to go. 
and paced around the room for about 10 minutes, saying a prayer. Then she slipped out the back window into the late afternoon sun. Around behind the apple trees, she crept and into the wild area. Standing still and closing her eyes, she felt the familiar feeling of reassurance from the mapstick. She heard the voice in her mind. Go. It's all right. Just go. Abby walked silently up the birdwatcher's path and crept under the scaffolding to the alley opening onto Old Stone Road. It was 4.46. She stood near the wrought iron door in silence, looking out for Sule and Nico. All of a sudden, she was reluctant to leave. But the voice in her mind said again, You must go. Nothing moved on Old Stone Road. Abby's timer showed the seconds going by. At 4.50, she unlocked the door, locked it behind her, and crossed the street. She didn't hurry. She didn't look around. Stable Lane, the narrow alley behind the backyards at the toy store and the coffee shop, was deserted. It was too early for soccer. People were eating sandwiches at tables behind the coffee shop. Phoebe was nowhere to be seen. Abby didn't stop, but took a quick left through the open lawn between two small apartment buildings. She crossed Marie Place and disappeared into the trees, next to an enormous run-down old house. And then, bending to the right, she slipped into the trees near the Main Street Bridge and went on through the willow trees bordering the river. Cemetery Bridge loomed ahead, showing the dark water flowing through a wide stone arch. The water was lower than usual, and Abby hugged the edge of the river and crept under the bridge, sloshing through knee-high water. She had expected even lower water, but no harm done. A muddy bank appeared just ahead, screened by trees, with a few gravestones visible at a distance. It was a perfect spot for a small boat to secretly come ashore. Abby waited impatiently. It was 5.02. Come on, Yuvia. Come on, Phoebe. The minutes seemed like hours. In a few seconds, a canoe appeared out of the shadows, under the bridge, and it turned sharply toward the bank and slid up the muddy surface. Yuvia jumped out and pulled the side of the boat up the bank. She held the boat there as Abby embraced her, kissing her on the cheek. She looks so young, but she was a great ahead of me. Yuvia's black hair glistened. Her copper skin was chapped by the wind and the sun, Yuvia whispered, What fun! Hop in! Abby looked back under the bridge and up the river through the trees. But Phoebe's supposed to be here. I don't know what to do. The plan was that we would leave if she's not here. Where could she be? It's your call. This place seems safe. Abby's timer read 512. I want Phoebe to come. We'll wait five minutes. She put her pack into the boat next to a couple of other bags. The canoe was blue and maybe 12 or 14 feet long. 
Towards the bow, it showed off a mast about eight feet tall, barely able to slide under the center of the bridge. As if to flaunt its eccentricity, the stern of the canoe did not end with a point, but rather a flat edge that held a small outboard motor, tilted to keep the propeller up almost out of the water. Three benches spanned the width of the canoe. All sorts of small accessories bewildered Abby with details. They waited there in the shade. The bridge cut off the light of the sun sinking in the west. Suddenly, Phoebe waded out from under the bridge and said in a whisper, You're still here. Thank you. Let's go. Yuvia took over. Abby in the bow, Phoebe in the middle. You first, Abby. They jumped in. Yuvia pushed off, and the canoe was running with the current. Take that paddle. Nice and easy on the left. Watch carefully. Try to keep your feet off the sail. They noticed the blue sail wrapped around a long pole and tied to the edge of the canoe under the benches. For a while, no one spoke. The view of the rushing water, the Winkle Farm, the hills and the cliffs in the distance. It was all enchanting. The light breeze and the roller coaster feel of the current stirred their blood. The dark water glittered in the setting sun. Abby felt the warm sun on her back. The motor was not running. All was calm. Abby and Yuvia didn't make any great effort, but just kept the canoe straight and clear of other small boats coming upriver near the bank. They had a brief view of the town of Half Moon on the left and the park and docks on the right. And they passed a few more farms and then entered a more suburban landscape. Phoebe opened the conversation. Sorry to be late. We had a surprise. Abby turned to Phoebe. She was thinking... She doesn't seem too worried. But she blurted out... Tell us. So we had news. One of the reporters from the River City Post, name of Jerry Norris, is known to Moonlight for political campaigns. It's possible he's employed by Confidential Investigations, a well-known creepy outfit that works for big money. He's short, thin-faced, blue-eyed, pale, receding hairline, in his 30s. Goes around with a broad-shouldered guy. I remember them from the churchyard gate. We were standing there a long time with nothing to do but look at reporters. Anyway, according to Zoe, Jerry Norris is the most likely reporter who's not a reporter. To quote what Marcus told Nico, we'll have to watch out for him at the event tomorrow. Abby was struggling to concentrate on the river. She said, Tell Sarah. They must have a plan for dealing with this kind of thing. And later on, Sule came bursting into the toy store. She pulled me into the back room and said that Marcus had just come into phones and more to buy a fancy new smartphone. When her father was occupied with another customer, he whispered to Sule, Change all your passwords, wipe your phones, and start over. She hung around him and made the sale. But that's all he said that's of interest to us. 
Wow! Go Marcus! What did you do? It was already 4.15. Suli said she'd do her job for you, and then find Nico and make security changes in their phones and computer. I ran down to the store and asked her father to wipe my phone and help me get started again. He thinks my phone is too old to be any good. Said he'd wipe it and recommended a new one. I don't have any money and now I have no phone. Thank God I never used my computer and I barely got to you in time. I was panicked. I'd miss out. Abby looked at Yuvia. It's a good thing we don't have phones or computers. How did you know? Oh, Jeremy told me about the phone rules, and I didn't think you'd go in for all that media. You like to be secret, and aren't afraid of being alone. That's me. Yuvia wore a smile during the whole conversation, with her eyes always on the water. But I've been getting a taste of this new action. The big change is beginning. This weekend, we'll see it for ourselves. I'm so relieved to be with both of you. I really have no idea what I'm doing. Like, what's the schedule? Where do we sleep? How do we handle this meeting tonight? Who will even show us where to go? Thanks for listening. Episode 37 is coming soon. To hear all the episodes, please visit us at www protectorsofthewood.com For Facebook and Instagram visit us at Protectors of the Wood Book Series Facing the mirror Looks like a strange can recognize myself today Sometimes I think in your arms My fear would melt away God help me find a way I can go eastward I can go westward Someone like you I've seen you disappear Down a lonesome track Each time I see you coming back Can't you hear the sirens
everything you say You change my life some every day Face in the mirror Looks like a charade